0: joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-17. through I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul?
1: Father, would you by your spirit open your word and use it to open up our hearts. Lay us bare before your son. Let us see, behold, more of him. Be drawn to him and may that draw us to unity in him. We ask all of this in his name, for his glory, by your spirit. Amen. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we continue our new series entitled, Called to be Saints. That's the call of this book from the very beginning, and it's what Paul unfolds throughout the entirety of the book. It's the call on our lives just as much as it was the call on the Corinthians. Amidst the moment in time in which we live, amidst our time and place, amidst our culture, we are called to be saints. Saints simply means a people that set apart, set apart for the purposes of God. And last week, we saw that we need to hear that and Corinth needs to hear it for the exact same reason. That reason is because instead of being set apart amidst our culture, we often, Corinth often ends up looking the exact same as the culture. Uh, We talked about the city of Corinth's culture pretty extensively can summarize it as a culture of self-promotion, self-sufficiency, self-indulgence, nothing like the culture in which we live, right? The Corinthian Christians, they they, they blended this culture, we're going to see especially self-promotion this morning, they blended it with their Christianity, and I contend that so have we, which is why, that's why we need to hear this call to be saints. And last week, All all the Apostle Paul did was show us in Corinth how it's even possible for us to answer this call. It's possible because Christ has provided every ounce of power we need to be the people he's calling us to be. This is not a call to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and simply be better. It's a call to turn from trusting in ourselves, from trusting in our culture, to trusting in Christ. And that he will provide everything that we need to follow him and be his set-apart people. That's what we talked about last week. So, we're ready this week to finally hear what this call actually looks like. Like like practically daily, what does it look like to live as a saint? That's the question that Paul is going to spend the rest of this book unpacking. And he begins in verse 10. Look at it with me. I appeal to you brothers and sisters By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It's interesting. What does it look like to live as a saint? I don't think Paul begins in the place that we or the Corinthians expect him to. What does it look like to live as a saint? Like I expect Paul to begin with like some individual commands. Jonathan, you want to be a saint? Do this. Don't do this. But Paul doesn't even begin with the individual at all. He begins with the corporate. Because last week, if you remember, all the way back up in verse two, we saw that this call, it's a corporate call. We're called to be saints together. He doesn't begin with the individual. He begins with the corporate. And he also doesn't begin with a command, but an appeal. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, parakaleo, it means to urge, to to exhort, to implore. It's, It's a request rooted in emotion, and that emotion for Paul is love. That's why he calls these his siblings in Christ, his brothers and sisters in Christ. I appeal to you. Because I love you, that's how he's going to end the letter. Just read chapter 16 and verse 24. He concludes with his love for them in, in Christ. This isn't what we expect. The call to be saints is not a call to a list of individualized command. It's a corporate call rooted in love, calling us into love. Is that not where Paul begins? With a call for the Corinthians to love one another? To be united? That is not the place that the Corinthians expected Paul to begin. Why? Because this is a response letter. The Corinthians had written, we're going to figure this out as we go along, we'll see it in the text, but the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul with a list of questions, most of them theological. They had questions about things like the Lord's Supper, things like speaking in tongues, things like the resurrection. And here's the deal, Paul will get to answering all of those questions, but none of them get as much space as where he begins with this call to be united. He's going to dedicate the first four chapters to this. Something that they didn't even ask about. Why does he begin here? He tells us why. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. We don't know who's Chloe's peoples are, have no idea, but where I'm from, they'd be getting stitches. Snitches get stitches. We don't know who these people are, but clearly they have tattled on Corinth to Paul, told him about these divisions that they have. And this, this is where Paul begins. Before getting to any of their questions, he's going to pour out ink over four chapters to answer this problem of division. Why? because this is where the call to be a saint begins shades the call to be a saint remember we said that word is set apart the call to be a saint set apart is precisely a call to be a part of God's set apart people it's a corporate call if we lose that we've lost the whole thing from the beginning. Like we individually, like we can try to claim Christ all on our own, but what we will come across as is just another individual promoting what we think life is all about in a world where everybody else is doing the exact same thing. Instead of what we're supposed to be, a part of a people united, that's unique. That's distinct in our divided age. We're to be a part of a people united by the purpose of promoting something other than ourselves, promoting Christ. So incredibly different. That's who we're called to be, and so that's where Paul begins. Because the Corinthians aren't united in promotion of Christ. They've taken their Christianity, combined it with their culture, which we know is one of self-promotion. Self-promotion, by its very definition, divides. If I'm promoting me and you're promoting you, we're divided in purpose and cannot be united. This is what Paul will unpack in verses 12 to 17. Let me me, me put the truth that he's going to unpack in these verses in a summary sentence for you. It's simply this. Self-promotion divides the church and denies the gospel. That is what Paul wants us to see, wants the Corinthians to see. The self-promotion that you're embracing from your culture, it divides the church, it denies the gospel. See this with me, beginning in verse 12, where Paul gets specific about how the Corinthians are embracing this practice of self-promotion. Go at verse 12. What I mean is this. So like when I say you're divided, this is what I mean. Each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas, Peter. Or I follow Christ. In Corinthian culture, following a leader of great social standing increased your own social standing. Like you used the leader to promote yourself. It's what the Corinthians are doing, is it not? You see where the emphasis falls in those statements? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul, the founder of our church here in Corinth. Oh, yeah? Well, I follow Apollos. Apollos was known for being this articulate teacher of the faith. He'd visited Corinth. I follow the most articulate, the best teacher we've ever had. Well, I follow Cephas, Peter, Peter. He was a church leader before either of those guys. Well, I follow Christ. I don't need any human teacher at all. Like, you can feel the one-upmanship in these statements, can't you? Like, the entire attitude is one of self-promotion that comes straight out of Corinthian culture. During, uh, During the first century A.D., Uh, there were these traveling teachers in the Greco Empire. They were known as sophists. Uh, Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. These guys did not have a lot of it, but they liked to act like they did. This is where we get our word sophistication, to live wisely and be on the upper echelon of society, right? These traveling teachers known as sophists, what they would do is they would travel to a city like Corinth, and their goal would be to gather students to themselves and set up a school. So when they first came, the whole town would would turn out to hear like a teaching demonstration. And the really good sophists, they would look at the crowd and they'd be like, pick a topic, any topic. And they'd pick a topic, and extemporaneously the sophists would lecture on it, not with the goal of conveying truth about the topic. No, the goal was to entertain, to capture, to captivate your audience. The goal was to use one's ability to, to turn a phrase to intrigue and enrapture. It, uh, as, I, as I read about this, it reminded me a lot of the, uh, the insult battles that I experienced on my middle school bus. We'd have competitions, particularly with one genre of joke, the your mama insult. The point of a your mama battle was not to say anything true or accurate about the other person's mother. The goal was to be the funniest, the wittiest, to have the best comeback. The goal was to win. So also with the sophists. These teachers, like it's more similar to that than you think, these teachers would often actually compete with one another for students in the exact same way I competed on my middle school bus with your mama jokes. They would insult one another. Dio Chrysostom, he was a Greek philosopher in the first century. He visited Corinth not long after our letter was written, and he observes the sophists in Corinth, and this is what he says. I observed them shouting and abusing one another, engaging in invective against each other in order to demonstrate to the crowd and their disciples just how inferior their competitors were. Scholar Bruce Winter who's written a lot about the sophist, he actually he calls these insult debates battles. I kid you not, when I was reading his work, it sounded like he like if you just removed sophist from it, it sounded like he was describing gangster rap battles from the 90s. Like East Coast West Coast stuff. Like like listen, listen. This is a quote. So you don't think I'm crazy? Bruce Winter says, these battles could be waged at a personal level, at a political level in the city, like between rival sophists with their squad, their teacher, their students, or even intercity. Like you could have a personal rapper feud or you could have like rival gang rap battles or even East Coast west coast kind of thing like it's freaky how similar these things are a sophist life was characterized by quarrels and strife it wasn't just the sophist i told you their squad their students got involved Their disciples were encouraged specifically to be zealous about defending and promoting their own teachers. Bruce Winter again, by engaging in verbal battles with other students, they were simply following a long-established requirement of demonstrating their exclusive loyalty to their own sophist. And I contend this is precisely what we see the Corinthians doing in verse 12. The church is just importing the surrounding culture of sophist self-promotion. Paul will say that explicitly in chapter 3 and verse 4. Listen to it. He says, When one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In other words, are you not being like all the other Corinthians in your city who don't know Christ? He'll say you're characterized by quarrels, misplaced zeal, and strife. He literally will take the exact words typically used to describe sophists and use them to describe the Corinthian Christians' lives because they're importing this culture into their Christianity. And the effect is division. Self-promotion divides the church. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? rebaptized you baptized in the name of Paul? These are all hypothetical questions. The obvious answer to all of them is no. Paul's simply making an emphatic point that when the Corinthians first became believers, they became believers in Christ. They were united to Christ for the purpose of promoting Christ. Christ. None of that divides. It unites. So he asks, is Christ divided? If you were brought together in him for the purpose of promoting him, then how is it you're pulled apart? Is Christ divided? No. So why are you? It's got to be because you have some other purpose than Christ promotion. A purpose like self-promotion. That's why, that's why you're attaching yourselves to teachers like me, I think Paul would say, or he is saying right here. You're Attaching yourselves to teachers like me to promote yourself. But Corinth, he says right here, you're not attached to me in any way. Was I crucified for you? No, Christ was. Were you baptized into my name? No, you were baptized into Christ. Corinth, don't you see the absurdity of trying to gain anything by attaching yourself to me? Christ did everything. He is all there is to gain. Don't, don't divide yourself up based on things like your favorite teacher or who baptized you. Apparently, Paul's going to talk about baptism a lot right here in these verses, and apparently that's because this was part of what the Corinthians were doing, bragging about who baptized them, as if that means anything. Paul's actually glad that he didn't baptize that many of the Corinthians, lest it cause more division. That's what he says in verses 14 to 16. Look at it. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether or not I baptized anyone else. That's how that's supposed to be read. You ever ever gotten ahead of yourself in an argument when you're trying to make a point? Like I'm talking to my... My teenagers, and let like Karis and Levi, when I was a teenager, I only ever backtalked my father once. Okay, there were a few times when he was my coach, and there was at least one time when we were debating about what I should do with the money that I was earning, but okay, I can't remember exactly how many times I did it, but that's not the point. The point is that you're supposed to respect your parents. That's what's happening right here with Paul. Like, he's so eager to not be used for the purpose of division that he's like, hey, I only baptized two of you anyway. Okay, there was that one other family. There may be others. I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with eloquent words or wisdom, Lest the cross be emptied of its power. Right here we see the rest of the reality that Paul has been unpacking. Namely, self-promotion divides the church and denies the gospel. Self-promotion divides the church and it denies the gospel. This is what Paul means in verse 17 when he says, Christ did not send me to baptize. He's not downplaying the importance of baptism right here. No, hear him in the context of what we've been talking about. He's saying, Christ didn't send me to be a sophist gathering a following. Like, that's how you're treating me, like I baptized you into following me. Christ didn't send me for that. He sent me to preach the gospel. Again, not like a sophist. I wasn't like a sophist who came in and let you pick a popular topic for me to teach on as if this was about my extemporaneous words of eloquence and wisdom. No. Paul says, I had one topic. It was assigned to me, not by you, but by God. He says this in chapter two, verse two. I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't get to pick the topic and neither do I. And it's one that you won't think looks very wise. You will think it looks very foolish. It's one that you will not conceive of naturally as being powerful. It will look extremely weak. It's about a God who died. That's not a topic that you can spin with a turn of phrase to sound like a winner climbing a social ladder. No, no, that's a gospel that's quite the opposite. The gospel displays Christ conquering by being conquered. It says that he wins by losing. And it says that he invites you to live by dying. In other words, Corinth, following Christ in your context is social suicide. And that's where you'll find eternal life. This is about as non-sophist of a message as you could imagine. and Paul proclaimed it in the most non-sophist way. Again, verse 17. Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom. Not like the sophists with all their pretty rhetoric and spitting bars. He sent me not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power in other words paul is saying the aim of my preaching wasn't to put my intellect and my eloquence on display if that was my aim like that might attract you to me and like my powerful speech no i i wasn't aiming to say anything that would make me popular in the midst of corinth I simply proclaimed Christ and him crucified. So that when, when your life was transformed, you know it was only by the power of the gospel, the cross of Christ. Corinth, don't don't you see, if if I had come promoting me and my intellect and my eloquent speech, that would have denied the very gospel that I preach because it's a gospel that turns human wisdom upside down. Corinth, self-promotion divides the church, and denies the gospel. Shades, do we not still see the exact same thing? It it is beyond dispute that we live in a culture of self-promotion, where our mental health itself is dependent upon amassing followers and likes and tags and everything else under the sun. is one of the ways we try to climb the social structure not by networking and attaching ourselves to people of power. And if we think about it, who might the powerful sophists in our culture be? People of substance? Who are concerned about the truth? Or... People who know how to take a hot topic, flip it and spin it with their speech in a way that attracts likes and clicks. Who are our popular politicians? The ones who can calmly speak cogently about policy? Or the ones who can stir up our hate for the other side with words that enrage rather than inform And has this this competitive culture of self-promotion not found its way into our churches? I I submit that it has in a way that is much more explicit than anything we've seen in Corinth this morning. There's some similarities still. Yeah, like Corinth, we an argument can be made that Christians will still divide over popular teachers that we perceive as promoting some kind of superior spirituality. So maybe even here, it shades. We got some, uh, I follow Jonathan, with his emphasis on the evangelical stream and the preaching of the word, digging down into the text. Or the, I follow Brad. I love how he brings in the liturgy. Those liturgical prayers, they speak to me. And he brings that counseling flair, too. Not to mention, he got jokes. Boy got jokes, missed his calling. Or, I follow John Mark, that charismatic flow. (laughs) Or, I don't follow any of those guys. In fact, they get in the way between just me and Christ. We may still try to one-up one another by bragging over the latest book we've read, or podcast we've listened to, Or maybe, like I just said, we try to Jesus-juke everyone by saying we're not influenced by any human teacher. It's just Jesus, the Bible, and me. And most likely YouTube. But here's the deal. Whatever teacher we choose, in that framework, the point is to promote ourselves as spiritually superior. We still do this. And yet, I don't think that this is the primary way we mirror the practice of the Corinthians. I think a closer parallel is not the way we brag about our preachers, but the way we brag about our churches. I go to the church that is most concerned with missions. I go to the church that is the largest and obviously cares the most about reaching people for Jesus. Yeah, I, I go to a church that's smaller because we're real an authentic and care about community. Yeah, but I went to your small church and it hurt me, and now I'm at one where I've really found healing. Like how much do we try to promote ourselves as spiritually superior by promoting our churches and tearing down others so that we can be on top? And yet, even still, I don't think this is the main way that we mirror Corinth today. I... I think we've taken it one step further than all of this. I believe that we don't merely import our culture's sophistry into our churches. I believe we import the sophists themselves. Corinth didn't do that. They didn't take the secular city leaders and use them as standards of Christian spirituality. Yet we baptize certain cultural leaders and use them as a measure of orthodoxy. For instance, we may baptize our political party or a particular politician. Everybody get nervous in here right now. Y'all know it's an election year next year, right? You know we're going to talk about this, right? Maybe we try to baptize a particular politician and say, if you're a real Christian, then that's who you follow, that's who you vote for. Like, I'm observing this real-time shades. We're even to the point where people are picking their pastors because they want ones that sound like they're politicians. The politician's the standard rather than picking a pastor who points them to Christ. We are a people who've become people who say, I am of the left, or I am of the right, or I'm so spiritual, I've left the church to follow Christ. Shades, is Christ divided? Did the left die for you? Were you baptized in the name of the right? Like, have we left behind the proclamation of the gospel, because that feels foolish and weak. So we exchange it for the weapons of punditry, because those make us feel powerful and wise. When a church is divided by punditry instead of united in proclamation, is it any wonder that it is devoid of real transformational power? Shades, self Promotion divides the church and denies the gospel. It kills our calling to be saints. That is why, that is why Paul starts here. Not just to correct. He's doing all of this out of love. It's an appeal rooted in his love for Christ and his love for them. His goal is not merely to correct. His goal is to bring good news. He starts here because he's got good news, a gospel that turns a culture of self-promotion on its head, upside down, by making us all about Christ-promotion. Christ promotion doesn't divide us, it unites us as a people who are set apart, as saints whose lives don't deny the gospel but unleash its power. To put it in a summary sentence, Christ promotion unites the church and unleashes the gospel. If self-promotion divides the church and denies the gospel, Christ promotion unites the church and unleashes the gospel. This is what it looks like to be saints. It looks like Christ promotion. Look back. Look back at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul calls all of us to agree, auto legate. Literally, it means to say the same thing. Corinth, I want all of you to be speaking with one voice, saying the same thing. What's the way Corinth is currently speaking? In a way that promotes all sorts of different names. They're not saying the same thing. Some are, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Christ. Paul calls them all to say the same thing, to promote the same name. The name in which he's making the appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak the same. Promote his name. Let there be no divisions among you. Schismata. That's where we get our word schism. But don't think of a schism in dividing into factions. This word was primarily used to describe a tear, a rip. Especially like we see it used to describe a tear in a net. Something that is meant to be connected and together, united for a singular purpose, and it loses its purpose when it's rent asunder. Don't let there be any of those things among you. That's going to tear the very fabric of your purpose apart, being a fisher of men, quite literally bringing the nations in. By promoting Christ. Let there be no divisions among you. Don't be divided by who you're promoting. Be united, he says, in the same mind and the same judgment. That is unity of posture and unity of purpose. Same mind, same judgment. Unity of posture and unity of purpose. We're united in the same mind, mindset, a posture. They'll get explicit with it in chapter 2 and verse 16. It's the mind of Christ, the posture of Christ, one of humble, self-sacrificial love. That is to be our posture towards one another and towards the world. And we are to be united in it. Not only that, but united in the same judgment. That's united in the same purpose. We've got the same aim, our judgment, our goal is aimed at the same thing, promoting Christ. Shades, hear me. Paul is not calling for total uniformity right here. As if we will all always agree on every last little thing. That's impossible. In this letter alone, Paul is going to walk through situations where Christians don't agree. He'll walk through some major theological issues where lines do have to be drawn in the sand, but he will also walk through some lesser theological differences showing us how to love one another even when we disagree. He won't call for uniformity, but he will call for unity in who we are promoting call for unity in our purpose, unity in our posture. We are a people set apart to promote Christ. That's what being a saint looks like. Christ promotion that unites the church. No longer do we say things like, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or even I follow Christ. No, our united confession is we proclaim Christ. It's not about me, I, is we. And it's not even about we. We proclaim him. We proclaim Christ. This will be Paul's very confession in 2 Corinthians 4 5. He says what we proclaim is not ourselves. It's not about self-promotion. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Not individualized self-promotion, united Christ promotion. Shades. When we do that, it unleashes gospel power. One last time, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Get what Paul is saying right here. He's saying, if, I'm, if I were to make this all about me, baptizing people in my name, gathering a following for myself through my eloquence and my intellect then all people will see is my powerful popularity. It's as if the cross of Christ itself will be emptied. Because I'm just using it as a means to promote my own power, my own popularity. But, but if I put the cross on display, if this is all about promoting the foolish, weak, foolish, weak, crucified Christ, and that transforms people's lives, then the power of the gospel has clearly been unleashed. Shades, do, do you see? Do you see? Self-promotion divides the church and denies the gospel, but... Christ's promotion unites the church and unleashes the gospel in the world and in one another's lives. You, you want to know, know what it looks like to be a saint? It looks like doing that together. Promoting Christ together. That is the purpose of our lives, and we do it in a posture that reflects him Being a saint looks like being a part of a people, set apart, united in purpose and posture, saying the same thing. We proclaim Christ. That's unique. That's distinct amidst a world divided by self-promotion. Think. To see a people united in Christ's promotion, think of the power that could unleash shades That's our calling. That's what it looks like for us to live as saints.
0: Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.